Well, good morning. There we go. Good morning. Let me try it again. Good morning. Good morning to all of you who are watching online. We're certainly glad that you decided to join us this morning for a word from the Lord. Um, well, the midterm election results are in. Um, the Republicans are, not, are now over the House um, by a slight majority. The Democrats are over the, have the majority in the Senate. So now, what does this all mean for Americans? Huh? What does this mean for us? Well, there was a time in history where, you know, our elected officials would go in a room and they'd kind of work through a number of issues and work through some disagreements and keep our government moving forward. But based on our recent history, there's likely going to be a standstill, a logjam right there, right? Unfortunately, many Americans at this point, we have sort of lost our confidence in uh, their ability to sit around the table and sort of work through a number of different disagreements that they might have. I believe in our society today, it's become sort of a, a lost skill or a lost art, if you will. Just to be able to sit at a table and have a conversation, negotiate and work through disagreements it's something that just doesn't happen anymore. And I believe that it's probably because of maybe a number of factors, but social media, I believe, plays a significant part in that. Uh, social media provides spaces for people to have extreme views. And now no one wants to sit at the table and sort of work through things. It seems to be a lost cause. We've probably experienced this logjam or standstill on your job. It may be a job that you work for if you have different supervisors or managers that don't agree and they have this disagreement. What ends up happening is the entire organization sort of suffers. What's worse is if this happens in church or maybe at home. Yeah, when you know you're living under the same roof, you're supposed to be on the same team, but nothing seems to be moving forward. Nothing seems to be happening. There's sort of the logjam in terms of communication. And it usually starts with us. See, it's real difficult when we have these internal ba uh, battles that we have with ourselves, particularly when there's a disagreement. If we feel like we are under attack, let me let you in on a little secret. You are. It's called spiritual warfare. See, what Satan wants to do is get to get you to get in a disagreement, and then he divides and he conquers. That's his strategy. That's his strategy to win. Well, we've been in the series that we've entitled Joyful. And there's nothing more disturbing or stressful is to be in a relationship, in a working relationship or having a relationship with someone at home and be in a disagreement, and you're sort of forced to kind of keep Working with them, yeah, there's this awkward silence between you and that person, and you're trying to work your way through whatever situation that might be. What ends up happening is that situation sort of sucks the joy right out of you and everyone else that you come in contact with. So today I want to share with you. I want to share with you a method and some steps that you can take to help you win this battle that takes place within. 
I want to encourage you, if you're home right now, to get out a notepad. Uh, get something out that you use to keep notes on. And if you're here today, I want to encourage you to do that as well, because this is a message that you will use and can be a real blessing to you in the future, because there's a great chance that you are going to have a disagreement with somebody, and you're going to have to work through it. So today I've entitled this message, Winning the Invisible War Within. Winning the Invisible War Within. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. For your word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. God, we ask that the Spirit of God would use the word of God to reveal the Son of God so that we might have peace with God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we have been in the book of Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today. Many of you all know that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter while he is in Rome. He's in house arrest. He's writing to the church at Philippi, and he really is waiting, awaiting his trial. He doesn't quite know the outcome of this trial, but he still is writing the most joyful letter that he has ever written. He's writing this joyful letter because the good news continues to move forward in the community. He's excited about that, and also he's excited about writing, a people, writing to people that he's familiar with. He planted this church in Philippi, and so he knows these people, and these people have been faithful to him over a number of years. When he writes this letter, he's not addressing heresy. He's not addressing any specific uh, major sin within the church. In chapter 3, he does give a warning. I shared with you all what that was about. He warns them of the Judaizers, which I call the joy stealers. These were people who were trying to get them to believe that their salvation was based on their works. And so he says, you need to stay away from them. But in chapter 4, there's a little bit of shift in the tone. We see that because he uses a term that's used on the battlefield. He says, stand still. Let's look at chapter 4 verse 1, and we'll walk through this text together. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Verse 2, I urge Yodia and urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. This particular church had begun through a, a woman's really prayer meeting at the Riverside. You can look this up in Acts chapter 16. For those of you who are online, just type that into the chat box, box, Acts chapter 16. See, at this women's prayer meeting, the apostle Paul shows up, begins to share the gospel, and these women actually get saved. It's quite possible that the two women that's addressed here in this letter could have been in that prayer meeting. We're not sure, but we do know that the Apostle Paul remembers these women serving specifically with him, sharing the good news. Imagine having that on your resume, 
that you were working with the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary of all time. Yeah, on your resume. That was these women. These women were not a novice as it relates to spiritual matters. These women knew the word of God. They were spiritually mature. They were trained by the best, and they worked alongside of the best. This verse of Scripture helps us recognize that even people who are mature in the Lord can have disagreements that lead to dysfunction. These women in the church had a disagreement that sort of lingered. It wasn't dealt with or, or addressed. And this now became an issue among members of the church because this was something that was known throughout the church. I do not believe that they had committed any specific sin. It wasn't dealing with heresy. Why? Because the Apostle Paul deals with sin and heresy directly. He'll talk about it, he'll expose it, and he addresses it. But he just labels the situation as a disagreement, and that's it. Paul believed that this issue would have a negative impact on the church, so he decided to have this incorporated in this letter, to actually bring their names up. We know that this letter would have been, writ would have been read to the church at Philippi publicly. We know that because Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he addresses it to that church. He says to the church or the saints at Philippi, and then he begins to continue to speak. Now, what's interesting in this case is that we believe that someone was actually dictating. Oftentimes, he had someone who would dictate while he was speaking. So just imagine, he's talking, and someone in the room is dictating. There's some other men that are sitting around while he's talking, and someone's dictating what he's saying. And then, as he's talking, he points to someone in the room. We don't know who that is. That could have been Epaphroditus because he was the letter carrier that would take this letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, we know that because look at what it says in verse 3. He says, he stops. He says, yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Notice that the scribe didn't really realize that he's addressing someone in the room, but he's still writing. So he writes this right into the letter. I believe that this person was being led by the Holy Spirit, though, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? So God is inspiring this, uh, the Apostle Paul to speak. This person is writing, and I believe that this was specifically written into the text so that we might understand that sometimes there's some sharp disagreements between us and we need some counsel to help them intervene. Because he's pointed to somebody in that room saying, I need you to go and help these women out. Sometimes, no matter what the situation is, I don't care how spiritually mature you are, you need some counsel. You sometimes need other people to enter into that situation to help you work it through. So Paul urges these women, he urges them to agree in the Lord. He wants them to have the same mind, to agree on this one thing. Whatever the, the dispute was, he wants them to understand that there is a greater 
common ground in Jesus Christ. No matter what it is that they were fighting about or having a dispute about, there is a greater common ground in Jesus Christ. That these women were uh, women who are godly. Their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is our first point. You have to know that when you're in disagreement with someone, to remember that you're on the same team. Yeah, remember that you're on the same team. See, if you're a believer and that person that you're in disagreement is a believer, you have the same common ground in Jesus Christ. You have the same mission statement. You have the same spirit that dwells within you. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2. If you go back real quickly, take a look at it. Philippians 2, 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we have the same mindset because we have the same spirit that is in us. And that means that also we have the same future because he says our names are written in the Lamb's book of life here. According to Revelations chapter 20, I usually think to myself, if I have a disagreement with somebody, that God is going to make this person my neighbor when I get to heaven, right? Um, if you start thinking it that way, you're like, okay, this is my neighbor, so I know I'm going to have to figure it out because I might spend eternity with this person that lives next to me. See, the goal is that we see each other as partners, the same team. Satan wants you to see that person as your opponent. He wants to see you to see that person as your enemy. When I meet people for marriage counseling, that's usually the first thing I have to do is help them understand that you're on the same team. Your spouse is not your enemy. The first step, because I know that Satan has tried to get you to fight each other. I have to immediately get them to, think, to, to know that they're on the same team. This past summer, you might have seen a video that went viral. It was the basketball player, Draymond Green. He is a member of the Golden State Warriors, and he punches one of his teammates in practice. He punches Jordan Poole, and it's a pretty bad punch. The team fined him over a million dollars because he punched his teammate. So they, they really thought that this was an egregious thing. What's worse is if we were watching this during a, you know, during a competition, just imagine, and maybe you've seen this before where, you know, you're watching a game and then the team is fighting against each other. It's happening. You look on the sideline, look, oh my goodness, what's happening? That's what actually happened in this picture here. Um, you can see that Draymond Green is now arguing with his teammate. That right there is Kevin Durant. And everybody's watching this in the middle of a game. The opponent is laughing. The people in the stands and the fans are confused at what's going on. And the teammates, they're depressed. They can't even move forward as a team as a result of these kinds of disagreements. But that's what happens in the church, too. Yeah, when there's disagreements and there's frustrations between people, what ends up happening is Satan is laughing at us. Yeah. The world is confused at, wait a minute, what's going on with these people? 
the church becomes depressed and it's hard for a church to kind of move forward together in unity because of a disagreement. That's why the Apostle Paul moves right into this next statement. Look at what he says here. He says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. See, Paul's joy was in his confidence that Jesus, or the Lord, was always in control. He was confident that God was bigger than any disagreement or situation that he would have to face. And I can tell you that that joy can sustain you. Usually people who are joyful and who are sort of uh, walking around with the right spirit, these are people who don't get caught up in these petty disagreements because their minds are on higher things. They're concerned about other stuff, not little things. Look at what he says in verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, the Greek word here uh, that we've translated to graciousness means to yield yourself to someone. It means to be gentle. It means to be patient. That's what he means when he says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. Notice he says that we're not supposed to discriminate. We're supposed to be gracious to everyone. Remember, we're on the same team. The second point is to remember to be gracious. Remember to be gracious. In 1994, there was a blockbuster film that came out written by Steven Spielberg called The Schindler's List. This was sort of a documentary of an incident that took place during World War II. There was a businessman by the name of Schindler, and Schindler arranged to have his workers protected from the dangers of the war. And he would have a list of people that he would write down, and many of the people on the list were Jews. And these Jews would work in his factory and be protected. But there was another list that, was, that Jews had their names on, and that was a list that the Nazis had. And the Nazis had these lists, and if you were a Jew and you were on that list, you were sent to the concentration camps. So the list that the Nazis had was a list that represented evil and death. But the list that Schindler had represented good and life. Sometimes when we're in disagreement, we come up with our own list and how we treat people. Yeah, we have our own list, and we have a list where we have people that we are gracious to, we are gentle, we are kind to. These are people we are patient with. And then we have our own different list, and these are people that we have disagreements with. These people we avoid. These people uh, we are not patient with. We're impatient with them, and we handle them harshly. Yeah, but this is what... Paul says right after this, he said, the Lord is near. And I believe he says that purposely because he wants them to know that, guess what? The Lord is near. God is aware of this type of behavior, and he wants to address it. There's two ways you can look at it that he's saying the Lord is near, that the second coming of Jesus is back. But I really do believe that he's saying, no, the Lord is near because he is aware of our behavior. He's watching us. And he wants us to respond in a way that is gracious. We have to remember to be gracious to everyone. 
and not discriminate, not put people on different lists, but God has a list that we're all supposed to be being gentle, kind, patient, and loving too. Look at verse six. He says, don't worry about anything. Now, this particular passage, don't worry about anything, is, is probably familiar to some of you. But what we typically don't do is we, con- we don't connect verse three, dealing with this disagreement of women with this particular passage. But he says, don't worry about anything, meaning we can incorporate that. So as I begin to work us through these next few verses, understand that, that the Apostle Paul can also be talking about this disagreement issue. And we kind of work our way through this in the scriptures. Now, depending on your translation, he says, don't worry about anything. It might say, be anxious for nothing. That Greek word that is used is a word that Jesus used back in Luke chapter 10. If you're online, just type in Luke chapter 10. You can look this up. Jesus uses this word, worry or anxious, when he addresses Martha. See, Mary and Martha, they have this sort of disagreement with each other because Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is ministering to her, but Martha is in the kitchen, and she's working, and she stops and says, Jesus, tell her to get up and help me in the kitchen. I got a problem with this, right? And Jesus' response is, Martha, Martha, you are anxious or worried. That's the same word about many things. Jesus addressed her, and he wants her to know that she's overly concerned about something. Oftentimes, we have disagreements with people, and we're overly concerned about things that we really shouldn't be making a big deal of. We sometimes make a mountain out of a molehill, right? We make something bigger than what it is. And he's saying, no, be anxious or don't worry about anything. Verse 6, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, don't worry about anything, but really pray about everything. Yeah, praying about everything. See, many of us wait until we get this disagreement and we lose our cool. We end up cursing somebody out and then we start, oh Lord, what have I done? God, forgive me for this, right? Uh, We say things that that we wish we can take back and then we start praying. We usually use prayer as the last resort when we go through situations of anxiety and worry, don't we, right? Um, We do everything first, and then we say, you know what? I can't do anything else, so I guess we just need to pray. But really, God wants us to pray about the little things and also pray about the big things. And don't wait. You know, I really do believe that God wants us to be praying without ceasing, and that requires you to pray sometimes in the middle of a conversation that you're having that's sort of going left on you. And you know it's getting ready to go left. It's like, okay, Lord, I need your help right now. So not only do we need to remember that we're on the same team, remember that we need to be gracious, okay? But we also need to remember to pray. That's right. We've got to stop and pray. 
When I'm in disagreement with someone and I can tell that this thing is going left, I try to slow the conversation down because I'm praying at the same time. You don't see it. I'm usually smiling at the same time. Lord, please don't let me lose my cool with this person right now, right? Don't let me go off right now because they are going in a direction I don't want them to go in. I'm praying, God, please don't let me say the wrong thing right now. I'm praying for God to help me to be a good listener. He says, prayer, pray with thanksgiving too. I'm even praying to God, thanking him for the situation. Yeah, I've learned that, guess what? God sometimes brings people in your life just to work on your patience. And I'm like, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for this person who's standing on my last nerve right now. Right. Yeah, you've been there. Come on, you've been there. Like, they are pulling my, my strings right now. Thank you, Lord, for this person because I'm getting stronger at holding myself. Right? You're praying. Now, in order to do this, sometimes you need to slow the conversation down. Because if you're playing ping pong in the conversation, you're like, do you this? You did this. It's not happening. You're not praying. Slow the conversation down. Start praying. And I'm usually having these silent prayers. Lord, help me. Help me to understand what they're trying to say. Sometimes you need to just stop and say, look, we're, we're, we're definitely at odds here. Give me some time to pray. Just say it. I just, I don't think we need to go any further. Let me go find a space where I need to just go in my prayer closet for a minute wherever that might be, go outside and take a, get some fresh air and be like, Lord Jesus, you know I need you right now. And guess what? God jumps in. Because look at what verse 7 says. He says, and the peace of God, yeah, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, the conflict might not be settled, but the Spirit of God gives you this peace that surpasses all understanding. See, the opposite of anxiety and worry is peace. And that's what God brings to you. This peace is a byproduct of casting your cares upon him. So when you give it to him, say, Lord, I know you're still in control. You're giving it to him. Now that struggle goes to him. He begins to do his work, and he gives you this peace. Look at this next verse verses here. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. He says, I want you to dwell on it. I want you to meditate on these things. And look at the list of things. He says, you need to meditate and dwell on being true. That was the first one. Honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever's commendable, what is, whatever's morally excellent. All of these things are considered praiseworthy. This is the last point, and that is that you need to remember to dwell on what's praiseworthy to dwell on what's praiseworthy. This is a deliberate choice that you can have because he starts out, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, says everybody, these are the things that you must dwell on. 
these are the things you need to be mindful of. This is what is good. Think about what is good. Last year, I had a wedding to officiate in Miami. I was taking a flight back here uh, to Philly. And I remember sitting on the plane and happened to look over and I saw a familiar face. It was a friend of mine that I knew in college that I hadn't connected with in a long time. I texted him before we got up in the air and I said, hey, is it you? And he, he texted me back. He said, yes. I said, once we get the baggage claim, let's catch up in Philly. We landed in Philly. We met at the baggage claim and we began to have our conversation to get caught up. He was telling me all about his family. I'm telling him about my family and the conveyor belt started to go around and the luggage started being tossed onto the conveyor belt. There was a number of different pieces of luggage of different colors, sizes, and shapes. And as we're having the conversation, my friend grabbed on one of the black pieces of luggage and took it off. And I said to him, man, I think you should check that luggage to make sure it's yours, because it looked very similar to the other ones. He's like, no, this, this is mine. I, I, I know my luggage. So we continue to have a conversation, but I noticed his eyes kept looking at the piece of luggage. And he's looking down at the luggage. Finally, he picks up the luggage and he reads the tag. And he's like, oh my goodness, this is not my piece of luggage. He takes it and throws it back on the conveyor belt. And he says to me, man, I am so glad that I looked down because the last thing I would have wanted to do is take this thing home with me. And then I'm stuck with somebody else's stuff that I have no idea what to do with. See, sometimes we take ownership of thoughts that really we shouldn't. What Satan tries to do for us when we're in a disagreement is he throws different ideas on the conveyor belt of your mind. And they're negative thoughts. Some of them um, twist the truth with some of the, some of the stuff that is, are false. That's why the Apostle Paul starts off, he says, whatever is true. See, you have to first do some fact checking. Check out this thing, this thought that Satan is trying to give you to make sure it's in fact true. Sometimes we're angry over things that are not even true. And so you've got to ask the question, stop, be like, wait a minute. Did you do that because you were angry at me? Just ask the question to just discern whether or not the situation that you're thinking is in fact true. Did you do that to embarrass me? Was that your intent? I just need to understand so that, guess what? They're able to then respond and you can evaluate with whatever that issue was, whether or not it is true or not. He says that we need to be thinking about things that are praiseworthy. And what Satan tries to do is he throws all kind of stuff on the conveyor belt of your mind. He wants you to take it. You know, this person hates you. This person is jealous of you. This, 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 that. You know, all that kind of stuff. And you take that stuff home with you. And here's how you can evaluate whether or not this is a good thought, particularly in church. You just ask yourself, you know what? What if I multiplied this thought and then shared it with everybody? where would our church be? That usually helps you out a little bit. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. That might not be a good thought. That doesn't belong to me. And so you need to go back and start looking at the scriptures and saying to yourself, okay, what is praiseworthy? I know this person is on the same common ground as me, right? Because we have the same uh, greater common ground in Jesus Christ. I know this person loves the Lord. We can start there, right? So now let's begin to work through some of those other issues, but I need to hold on to things that are praiseworthy. We start to have a negative idea and thought about other people. 
then they become enemies to us. We can make a person a monster in our own mind. We really can. And these are people who probably have no intent to really cause any kind of disruption. They just have a, dis, a different idea about the situation. Remember, the Apostle Paul is, is addressing a disagreement. It's not an issue of sin here. He's addressing something that needed to be dealt with, but dealt with in a way that's praiseworthy. See, your thoughts will establish your beliefs and then control your emotions and then control your actions. Paul ends this section saying that the God of peace would be with you if you do these things. The night before, the, before Jesus was crucified, he has this conversation with the disciples. And this is what he says in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. See, we all sometimes struggle with this war within. And we're struggling trying to figure out, okay, what is right and what is wrong. But Jesus now reminds the disciples that they have an inheritance of peace because they're in him. See, when you're in Christ, you have this inheritance of peace that stays with you no matter what circumstance you're going through. And he says, this is not like the world offers. Look at what he says. I did not give to you as the world gives because the world will give you circumstances that will mess with your happiness. But he says, I'm going to give you a sense of peace, a sense of peace that surpasses all understanding. And that is because the root of it is, is that you're on the same common ground of Jesus Christ. What am I talking about? See, the reality is, is that you're at war with God because of sin. But Jesus comes to give us peace. And he does this because he's willing to give himself completely so that this relationship between you and God can be ultimately put back together. We serve a God who is holy and just and righteous. And he sends his one and only son to pay the penalty for your sins. So by just faith in his works and not yours on what he did for the cross, you now can have peace with God. A peace that surpasses all understanding, which means that whatever disagreements you have, whatever situations you might be going through, that you can rest knowing that you know God's still in control. You know what? God can still work this thing out. You know what? God floods me with his spirit so I can think of things that are praiseworthy. You know that I can make it through life knowing that we're not always going to agree on everything. But guess what? God's still on his throne. He's still in control. He's still over my life and I can still have joy. That's the kind of joy that you can have if you have a personal relationship with him. I just want to give you an opportunity to just pray. I want to pray with you that God would begin to work in your heart through some of these issues, because I really believe some of you are stuck right now in a disagreement with someone. Uh, this, it's not just by coincidence that I'm preaching this message. And even if you're online, I want you to just bow your head with me and go in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you, God, because you are the Prince of Peace. God, you ran after us so that we might be in a relationship with you. 
Somebody here is maybe struggling and they're trying to find joy in things, in stuff, in people, in relationships. God, you know who they are. God, I ask that you would just move by your spirit in their life right now so that they might understand that if they have peace with you, they can have eternal peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding right now. So God, I ask that you would begin to move in their spirit. Help them to trust you that, God, you will make it right. Then there's others here that are here today that have struggled in relationships, whether it's at church or at home. God, we, you know who they are. God, I ask that you would just flood them with your spirit so that they might be able to kind of work through these disagreements, handle it in a way that you would have us to handle it because you are near. Give us the fruit of the spirit so that in, even in the midst of that situation, we'll know that we have you with us to give us that peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Flood us, God, with your spirit. Work in that situation so that there may not be disagreements, but there would be unity, that we would work together on the same team. God, thank you for your word, for your word is truly that lamp for our feet. Guide us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand on our feet and worship God.